Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. So we've been, uh, tonight's the last night of landing in love. Uh, hey, just a shameless plug, uh, the SYA podcast, if you want to listen to uh, the five before tonight, or, and if you're like, man, his wife's amazing, I want to listen to that again, you can listen to the SYA podcast. And if you missed Adriana's sermon last week, um, that, that's one you might want to check out. Uh, you know, if you want something to listen to this weekend. But ultimately, landing in love leads to marriage. And marriage is hard work. But like everybody, um, you know, we, we each have our weaknesses and our strengths. And we've had a lot of years of trying to figure things out, and we're still figuring things out. But in these, like, pretty much 30 years of togetherness, you know, we've, we've kind of raised each other. That's, I mean, being that young, you know, dating and, and being together that long, we've kind of raised each other, but we've also balanced each other out. And that's kind of how it's supposed to work. And we have faced our weaknesses head on, sometimes kicking and screaming, but we've faced them and we've learned to be honest, which, by the way, as a side note, being honest is not simply not lying. So we've learned to be honest with each other, and through it all, we've grown stronger and better. And here's what I've done. I've put together our life in 10 pictures. I didn't show her these pictures. But here's the first one. This is high school, uh, senior prom. Well, this was Amy's senior prom. I was, I was in college at that time, but you know, I came back. Um, here's our wedding, 1998. Look at that. Yeah. I was, I was a little bit like Johnny. From, uh, from Cobra Kai, right? Just not as, not as cool. Um, here's the next one, uh, the, the ministry years. I just picked one. Um, yeah, so we did a lot of mission trips. Uh, we've been at two churches. We were a church in Missouri for eight, eight years and here for 16. And back then, we did a lot of mission trips and a lot of great, this is before, before we had kids. This next one was 2007 with Asher. This is before Silas was born, but this was our first summer camp here for our high school ministry when I used to be just the high school pastor. And uh, so that was before Silas. Here's Amy and Silas, I just, Silas or Amy and Asher. I just put this one in because I love it. This next one, look at that. Aww. And now he's 17. Oh, so good. And then, and then here's our boys when they were little. Here's Asher and Silas. Silas came along and then things got real. And then here's one of just Amy and Silas because I like this one. That's like totally their personality. Right there. Amy, sweet. Hi, let's smile for the camera. So I was like, I'll kill you. <laughs> okay. So uh, then 2012, I picked this one because uh, we're in the background, because that's kind of what happens when you become parents, right? Like you're still together and marriage is still uh, prime, but there's kind of something in front of you you've got to kind of take care of. And uh, then 2019, because every successful marriage has a Kansas City Chiefs fan at some point. Okay, and then, and then finally, this is our dog, Chief. We've had him for five months, three months? No, we've only had him for three months, but he's five months old and he's huge. That's our dog, Chief. <laughs> There's our life in 10 pictures. 
Full disclosure about marriage, there are no guarantees. That's just how life works. The future is always potential. I think that's from Star Wars, like Yoda, on some level, I don't know. Um, but we're going to share some things tonight um, that, I, that I do think that will increase your chances of landing in love in marriage for a lifetime that is genuine, that is fun, that is loving. So I've got the first point, then I'm going to hand it over to Amy. We're going to kind of go back and forth, okay? Uh, here's the first point if you're taking notes. Um, you need to realize, if you want to land in love in marriage for the long haul, you need to realize that marriage is more than a relationship. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2, or really, I mean, really chapter 2 is the juice in terms of like, you know, the first man and woman, this poetic meta-narrative, right? That's what Genesis 1 and 2 is about creation and about mankind. That's what the name Adam, the Hebrew name Adam actually means. It, it means mankind. And mankind, Adam, is commanded to procreate, to manage and organize creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I want to read from the New King James Version. version it says, it is not good that Adam, that mankind, should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. By the way, from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 2.18, this is the first time that God, because this is God speaking here, has pronounced anything not good. It's not good that man should be alone. He says, I'll make a helper. In verse 19, it says, God brings, so it's not good that man should be alone. So what does God do? He brings Adam, Adam, mankind, all the animals. And he says, name them. Right? Oh gosh, we could talk about that for a long time, but let's not. Let's stay on topic. Right? He has to give them a name. And then in verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparative. That phrase, not found a helper, it, it implies in the literal, in the Hebrew, that Adam was looking. Right? There's a doggy and a zebra and a hippo, and there's, he's looking, and there's none like him. And so he's looking, and God says it's not good. But, but God says it's not good that Adam's alone before he brings the animals. And I do believe this is, it's, it's poetry, it's more than poetry, it's like, it's like, it's like hyper-reality, right? It's like so real, and it's so packed with truth that we're going to need more than just, here's exactly how it happened. That's too simple. It's, it's, it's maybe that, but it's certainly more than that. And so part of the more than that is God says it's not good that Adam is alone. So then what am I going to do? I'm going to have him live in that tension, in that loneliness for as long as it takes to name all the animals. Probably a long time. And this idea of helper, there was no helper found for him. The Hebrew for this word is azir. It means strong helper, protect, strength. Keep that word in mind. Here's Genesis 2, 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and God took one of Adam's ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place, and then the rib which God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. There is so much packed into this that it blows my mind, and there's too much to comment on, but here's one thing to comment on. Do you notice what the, the poet Moses does here with the poet Holy Spirit does here. Like we all know, and Moses knew, and the people that were around when Moses wrote, wrote this knew that life comes from a woman. 
That's where human beings are brought forth from. And yet here, it's flipped. It's, it's Adam. It's the man. It's the woman's brought out of her. There's this, like, connection. There's far more here than I understand. But let me read from the theologian Matthew Henry about this verse. He says, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. In verse 23, Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's a poetic way of saying bone of my bone is a way of talking about strength, but flesh is frailty. In other words, like this azir, this strong helper, it, it fits Adam sees Eve, her essence, as the female made in the image of God. He's like, where I'm weak, she's strong. Where she's weak, I'm strong. They fit together. They cover. They complement each other. For, for me and Amy, one of, one of the ways that works out, one of the ways things, areas where I'm strong, where she can be weak, um, just from her personality, upbringing, all of that is I tend to be confident or even sometimes overconfident, and I can provide some perspective and encourage for her to confront the unknown, right? And for me, Amy is kind, like in her, in her nature, in her being, not just, I mean, not because she's female, but because she's Amy. And so she helps me do the right relational thing, even when what I'd like to do is over analyze it forever, right? Sometimes you just got to do the right relational thing. So remember, the work is to enter the marriage as you're becoming the right person, not seeking to find the mystical one that's made for you. This beautiful poem doesn't speak to that. Something better. And then verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. When this was written, That's not literally how it worked. What actually happened is the man didn't leave his father and mother, the woman did. And she moved in with the man's tribe, headed up by the patriarch of the family. They all lived in the same like apartment, ancient apartment buildings. But here, it's poetically flipped because marriage transcends your family of origin. That's how it worked. In marriage, regardless of where you live, Your ultimate loyalty is to your spouse. And then one flesh. Sex is important in the marriage equation, but pay attention to the sequence. Not good to be alone. The life giver, woman, actually comes from him. In other words, they're connected in a way that's beyond normal. Three, strong helper. Where I'm weak, she's strong. Where where she's weak, I am strong, and it transcends family, and then one flesh. Anyone can have sex. You just need the right plumbing, right? It's kind of just how it works. Before I pass it off, let me end this idea like this. One in spirit, one in flesh, knowing fully and being fully known. Genesis chapter two forces us to realize that marriage is more than a relationship. All right, I get to go with number two. Um, I am speaking to wives about building your husbands up. Um, so 
Go with me. Um, all throughout the Bible, we are we're told to show respect. Um, respect your elders. Respect your parents. You know, respect your spouse. Respect God. And um, I kind of I kind of love Peter because he he just says it and covers it all. Like I'm not making a list. I'm just going to tell you. Uh-huh. In First Peter two seventeen, he says, "Show proper respect to everyone." And we all want that, right? We all want to be respected. We want it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget that it's our job, too, to, to show respect, you know? Um, and I think a man, whether this is right or wrong, I think he, he wants to, to feel needed, you know, to feel honored and built up. And, and we, as, as the wife, we get to do that. We, we get to, to find things about him and encourage him, giving him confidence, um, not lying, you mm-hmm. know, like don't, don't say things that really <laughs> aren't true because that kind of screws you over. But, um, <laughs> but just like say things to him and be his biggest fan. Um, it, it's just, it's an honor to do that. Um, and it's kind of fun too, you know. Mm-hmm. I think in our culture, it's kind of a bummer because sometimes women will, it's like a, a funny thing to degrade their husband, you know, and, and almost make them come off looking like an idiot. Mm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, but you chose him, so that kind of makes <laughs> you an idiot too, right? Mm. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But I think if we all could just for a minute, you know, realize we are all sinners, you know, and, and in marriage, you are not going to live up to his expectations sometimes, and he's not going to live up to your expectations sometimes, and that is okay as long as you don't focus and stay in that negative, you know, like if you, if you are constantly looking at the bad and, oh my gosh, he's so annoying and he does this and he doesn't do this and all that, that's where you're going to hang out, you know. Mm. But if you can just look for the good, you know, and, and, and see that, and it increases, and you get to tell him what you like, what you don't like. Um, I remember when we were, we were first married, I, I, dating, we, I got to hear him speak a lot. Um, and I remember his first uh, youth ministry position. And he, he was speaking to these kids. And I mean, he had Bible verses like nothing. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can totally do a Bible study just from, from what he's saying. And so we got home and, and I said, okay, I've always loved your preaching. He's a fabulous storyteller and just like captures you. And, but I remember telling him, like, I loved all the scripture that you put in there. Because first of all, I could see if you're, you know, full of it because I got to go and read the scripture and find out if you're right or wrong. But like it was, it just fed my soul and and thank you for backing stuff up. And to this day, man, just that one little, that one little statement of truth, his sermons are now loaded with scripture. (laughs) And I really, I love like finding things about his character. I made up this saying about how character is everything. (laughs) And, you know, I think he just um, kind of went with that, you know. Um, And I I love it. I love finding things about him 
and being that um, cheerleader. And sometimes when I'm annoyed, I really do have to search hard. <laughs> but I, even doing that and being like consistent in that, I, I find the good. Uh, there's this, this man, his name is Oscar Wilde, and he, he says this quote, and it's, it's just the truth. It says, uh, we are all in the gutters, but some of us are looking at the stars. And I think in marriage, wives, being your husband's biggest cheerleader, you know, and, and looking for the good and being able to instill confidence in him, that's pretty dope. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty dope. Uh, let's talk, all right, fellas, husbands, no big deal, not a hard command, just love your wife like Jesus loved the church. I was doing some sarcasm, yeah. Maybe the masks. Yeah, the masks, I don't know. And, and the character was good. Oh, thanks. The character, thank yeah. My hands are clammy, okay. sweaty. Oh, Woo, sorry, Sean. <laughs> okay, First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, notice, first of all, my modern friends, Right? Notice that the language here is not domineering. It, it was written from a very male-dominated society, but it's not domineering. But let's, let's be honest. Real, I mean, are we ever not honest, Dusty? I don't know. So, uh, let me say something that's so true that it would be silly to debate it, and yet I feel like we're in an era where it might get debated. Men, on the whole are physically stronger than women. Yes, some of you could beat me up. I get that. I'm talking, you know, on the whole. <laughs> and so, when, when men are not considerate and respectful with women, and specifically their wives, it can end up being tragic. Now, this is a generaliz generalization. But women on the whole seem like they're more agreeable and relational, and there are all kinds of studies for this, and men tend to think more in terms of problem-solving or utility. And listen, it doesn't matter whether that's nature or nurture. You can argue about that sociologically, cool, whatever, but dealing with reality uh, tends to be the right now, and, and so this is a little bit of what we are and, and what we're contending with right? And so if this is true, on, gener generally speaking, that women are more agreeable and men are constantly trying to overly solve problems, right? Then men need to be considerate, not overbearing or harsh, trying to always solve a problem. And here's why. Because the woman, the wife, she most likely has the wisdom, even intuitively, that this relational thing that many women, if not most, are more in tune to than the man, this relational thing, if we don't get this right, then who cares if we solve this one problem? We're going to have 30 others, right? So do you see this? And so Peter, long before anything called sociology or psychology was at least studied in the way we study it now, the Holy Spirit let us in to some truths. So husbands, it says, love your wife. Love your wife well, or your prayers will be cut off. That's what the word means, hindered. 
If you want to read, look back in your Bible at 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, you know, love them, be considerate, love them well, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It literally means to be cut off and ineffective. <laughs> okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, in some verses after, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That, all that that I said before was a build up to this. Love them like Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. It's the same basic idea here as love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love and nurture and develop as a husband. Love and nurture and develop your spouse, your bride, your wife, and care for them in the same way that you do and that you have done your own life or your own body. So part of what that means is like learn how your wife thinks. Learn how she like tends to feel through things. What's kind of like her emotional makeup. You, by the way, as a guy, you have an emotional makeup too, right? Like learn what her love language is and then work. And it is a lifelong project. But uh, work to love her in a way that she needs and in a way that honors her and in a way that is sacrificial because that's part of what it means, right? To love your wife as Jesus loved the church. And by the way, on either side of what the scriptures command to a wife or to a husband, it's not like that's not also clearly, just logically needed uh, in reverse, right? Okay. Okay. Probably off my notes, but common sense. I've heard women, I've had friends actually, who don't like the language used in the New Testament here about respect and honor your husband. Now, I, what I like to do is instead of arguing that point by point, because that tends to be boring to me, these theological debates and progressive versus conservative, like, have you, have you seen anybody like Usually if you change them, they tend to like become, anyway, I'm, I'm getting off again. So I've heard, I've heard women, women who don't like that language. I, I don't argue that point by point. What I do is point out, especially in Ephesians chapter five, when you look at Paul's command, Paul who was not married, so let's hear this from the Holy Spirit mostly when it comes, you know, from any experiential stuff. He says to the women, he says about this much, respect your husbands, right? First he says, respect and submit to each other. And then, wives, then have you looked at the, just, just the volume of words that he gives to men, right? And then, and then he, t- he ends it with, no biggie, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says that a wife of noble character is a greater treasure than rubies. And so, if you're hoping to find a wife of noble character, and then you have one, like I do, well, then the logic would be to treat her as such. And you do that by, you love your wife the way Jesus loved the church. The next one, we just want to say, make sure that you have fun together. Um, Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with your spouse, whom you love. Uh, being friends early on <clears throat> and having fun together in a relationship is a far more important thing than anything physical. 
um, when you first start dating, obviously there's attraction, you know, and, and that is fun, but it can be, it can be a little distracting and a little tempting. And next thing you know, you're just all over each other physically, you know, and I think that's okay. Well, whatever. It's a temptation, <laughs> so we won't yeah. go there. But, but make sure that, that you, do you enjoy them without the physical stuff? Like, do you enjoy just hanging out with them? Do you know them? Do you talk with them? Because let me tell you, sex in marriage truly is flipping awesome. It just, it is. It is. However, you're going to need a friend and you're going to need a co-partner. And, and when, if you choose to, to have kids, you're going to need a co-parent way more than you're going to need a sexy bedroom partner, you know, which I mean, <laughs> hello, you are, but still, you're just going to need more than that. And so make sure that you enjoy each other not just physically, that's easy, but make sure that you enjoy each other as friends too. Um, romance begins in a relationship, big word, I can do this, because of neurological chemical effect, basically <laughs> your brain, you yeah. know? And romance will continue because of the relational intimacy that you have and your friendship. Yeah. Um, you're not gonna have that natural high for the rest of your life, but oh my gosh, it's actually better because you're working for it. You know, being attracted to somebody, that's easy, right? Like, you're all good looking, you're all physically attractive. Like, that's easy. Um, but, working for your friendship, that is so much more, like there's just so much more meat there and you'll, you'll do this. So anyway, um, Dusty has been my, my lifelong best friend, who I just happen to be attractive to, <laughs> too. But um, I, for real, I give myself high fives <laughs> all the time. <laughs> And I make my boys give me high fives too, like whenever he helps them. And it was just like, oh, whoa, that was a good dad moment. I'm like, here, high five. I chose him. You owe me that, man. Come on. So my kids give me high fives. I give myself high fives because I did really good in choosing, um, in choosing a spouse. And like I said, man, for years, he, he's my best friend. He is, I trust him more than anyone. We have a million, and yes, I mean a million inside jokes. Um, and, and I just, he gives perspective. Sometimes I don't want it, but he gives it to me anyway. He calls it out, and I, I just know that he wants the best for me. When I, when I was sick with lupus and Oh my gosh, you guys, I was a hot mess. Um, in bed for days, hadn't showered. I was ugly. I knew it. And he would come in and check on me and just sit and tell me stories. And we would just laugh together. And it, it made me forget the scary part that I didn't know what was going on with my health. And and he made me feel pretty, even though I knew I, I wasn't at that time. And I, ch 
chose that. And so be so picky whenever you are, are choosing your spouse because it's going to be your lifelong best friend as well. Mm. And I'll finish your thought. Amy doesn't like to get off her notes, but uh, when you're attracted, you're tempted to be all over each other, and that's okay to be tempted. <laughs> um, but if you follow Jesus, you want to be pure. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> pure. Uh, here's number five. We have six total. Number five, communicate with vulnerability. Be vulnerable in your communication. Being vulnerable means that you're open to being hurt. Now, what I mean by open, it doesn't mean like, hey, I'm free. You can hurt me. It's cool. I mean like that you are, you're taking a risk because to experience love, that's, that's the point. There's no potential of love without the risk of the opposite, of being hurt. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Nakedness symbolizes like this real, <laughs> this poetic but also literal and real vulnerability, right, of being naked. But it's so much more than just the physical. And then, and then like the word shame, it, it, it means in this ancient language to be disappointed, to be embarrassed, to have a disturbance. But here in Genesis 2.24, it says there was no shame, no embarrassment, no covering, no pretending, no apologizing for who you are, no masks, no secrets, total acceptance, naked, vulnerable by choice. This is marriage, or at least even leading up into marriage. Vulnerability. Now, it's easy to, you know, take our clothes off and have sex. You know, I've already, I've already said that. That's, anybody can do that. But opening up your soul, sharing your thoughts, your dreams, your fears, your insecurities, your weaknesses, your strengths, like this, this is being naked, right? Like from a psychological perspective. It's the no shame. Now, here, let me break it down like this. Here's kind of how this happens. It's very poetic. It's very beautiful. But here's, I think, I think the process. I just, I wrote this just today. But I was thinking through this, like, there's, you can be naked, like, psychologically, right, vulnerable with someone, especially in marriage, and have no shame because it means that the vulnerability has been tested it's been tried and true. In other words, you've been vulnerable, and that's a risk early on, but you found that you can trust this person. And when you have trust, then you have safety. And this is part of what should evolve relationally into marriage. It's part of the friendship, but it's also part of the intimacy. And we tend to, to think that the way we act in the world is like because we've or our, our beliefs in the world. And hey, let me just, let me just take a shot at y'all's age, okay? It was true for when we were your age too. It's plenty true with people my age and older. But, but especially in young adulthood, we tend to think that we've thought through what we believe about whatever, and we've worked really hard to think it through, and then we live in the world as such. It's not really how it works. We tend to behave first, we tend to act out our beliefs regardless of what we say. James talks about this. 
You believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. All right, but they're demons, bro. <laughs> so they're not like living as if there's one God. Okay, so like we tend to live in the world and act and then in retrospect, we assess it and measure it and hopefully change some things that aren't so good. And then we, in, we kind of look back and go, here's what I believe. And by the way, a little freebie on the side, when you do that work, when you look at how you've lived and go, oh, here's what I believe, and maybe I need to change some things, or ooh, this is really good, people who are honest don't act as if they've always believed that. They don't act as if they worked that out in their head big time when they were 15, and now at 22, this is how I've always been. They go, oh, no, I, I just saw that I was living like this, and I don't want to live like this, and so I, that's an honest person. You want to marry somebody like that, by the way. And so, when we're young, we tend to assume that our natural way of thinking and communicating is correct. That our personality and our upbringing, and, you know, that, because we've only lived one life, right? And so let me, give you, let me put flesh on this. Uh, Amy tends to process conflict very slowly. Like she takes her time to have to think through why she feels the way she feels, uh, early on, I would try to get her to process now. Just, just, and I remember something like being at my dad's place, like, just, just tell me, just tell me what you're thinking right now. Because I'm a verbal processor. I can assess how I, how I feel immediately and give it words and psychoanalyze it. And it's freaking annoying, right? <laughs> yes. And so I would push her to give me what she thinks. Well, then, okay, so she tried to accommodate that. But then later, when she actually had time to process it, it changed because she actually processed it. Well, it didn't mean that when I forced her to process out loud, it didn't mean that she was lying. It means she doesn't process like me. And so, well, that had to get, be understood from her about her and from me about her, and then it needed to be communicated. And then my way of processing ideas and how I feel, it's something quickly, and I could and can come off as uncaring, right? Like, I don't, I don't even, I, I don't need all that. Okay, here's the whatever. Now, what Amy learned was that I'm not uncaring. I'm actually pretty compassionate. I just don't tend to, like, feel deeply about things in the moment. I often feel them in retrospect. You know, I'll often be, like, so grateful or so, oh, that really is sad the more I think about that. <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah, right? Like this terrible tragedy that happened or whatever. But I go into... Like, my compassion is, is, here's probably what's needed, right? These things have to get understood, and that takes courage and vulnerability. By the way, if you're working on becoming the right person, this is part of the learning, the humble, slow work of self-awareness of your personality. And learning to, like, communicate that is vulnerable. It requires patience, on you for, for yourself, but also on them for you and vice versa. But when vulnerability builds trust and then safety, you're going to end up becoming more effective individually and collectively at handling conflict because you'll trust one another. You'll be like, oh, I know why they do that. I know, I know, like, you know, she's not, she's not avoiding conflict necessarily. She needs time. And then she communicates that, hey, let me, let, me think, let me think about this for a while. 
Well, I don't, like, as we, like, trust each other and been vulnerable and all of this, I don't go, are you trying to avoid confrontation? Right? That means I'm immature. No, we've talked about this. She needs time to process so we can have a fair fight. And, you know, listen, it's not will you fight, it's will you fight fair. There will be disagreements. There will be, you know why? Two human beings, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how similar your personalities are. You will disagree. In premarital counseling, Amy and I have done that so many times. Amy will often talk about being a team, like marriage is being a team, and yet often people fight like individuals. They fight like they're two, not, not one, or at least becoming one. And we've told each other over the years, like, we, you know, we build this language, but we will say things like, hey, I think I just feel stupid. I just, I, or, or even, I don't think you're trying to do this, but when you said this, it made me feel dumb. It just made me feel stupid. And then the other one's able to say, either, I'm sorry, I was, I was condescending. I'm sorry. Or, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Or we, we say things like, um, man, I just don't feel heard or, or, or seen. Or I felt like while I was talking, you are distracted. And, and then the other one can be like, you're right. I'm sorry. Or I think I've, I've taken some negative energy that I've got about this and I've, I've put that onto you, but it's not about you. Like we've learned this language, right? To communicate to one another. Craig Groeschel, a pastor, and also an author, he wrote in his book, From This Day Forward, by the way, chapter two is worth the, uh, the price of the book. The, that chapter two is called Fight Fair. In that chapter, he writes, healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for personal victory. In other words, you're two instead of one. When you're, when you're a team, like Amy says, when you're a team, you, you want to win. And you, as teams don't win individually, they only win together. So there's got to be this communication. James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I read this as an equation. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, your anger will be in check. If you want trust, you'll need to communicate with vulnerability. And if you want to reciprocate uh, vulnerability. In other words, if, if you're being vulnerable because you want them to trust you and you want to trust them, right? Then if you want them to be vulnerable, you have to learn to listen. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how we've, um, I, I wouldn't say we've traded places. Amy's still a better listener. But, um, but I struggled with listening early because I, I am a talker. I'm a teller. I'm a... Uh, I, I'm confident, but the shadow side of that is the temptation of arrogance, right? And then as we've, I've, because I've worked at it, and, and now Amy gets to work at listening. I'm like, can I get your, and, you, and what's so great is I use this language. Can I have like your full attention though? Can you put your phone up or whatever? You know who does this all the time to me now? Silas. Silas is like, I'm like, hold on, dude. I gotta, I need to do whatever. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, well, you can tell me why I'm doing this. He's like, no, that's okay. I want your full I want your full attention. <laughs> I'm like, ah, but it's good. He's telling me what he wants. That's good. Communicate with vulnerability. All right, the next one. This is it, right? This That's right. Is it. I mean, All I'm right. going to say stuff after you say stuff, but this is the last point. Okay. <laughs> good job. 
hanging in there. Um, number six, decide now that divorce is not an option. Uh, my parents were married for 13 years, and then they decided to get a divorce. And I was nine. And I remember the day that, uh, that they told me the news, and they simply said, we don't love each other like that anymore. We love you, and the divorce is not your fault. So I kind of processed that and put that in my back pocket, and I just remember thinking they just woke up that day and decided that they're going to get a divorce, so they stopped loving each other cold turkey. Like, I, as a kid, I didn't see the months before when, when they had quit communicating or um, stopped trying, and so that scared me to death. I'm pretty sure that's why we dated for six and a half mm -hmm. years, because I... I did not want to get married um, because what happens in 13 years when he stops loving me? And so we were at that point in our dating relationship where we either needed to get married or we needed to break up. And um, thankfully, we both liked each other enough. I went to my mentor and I'm just like freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, he's talking about engagement. I don't know what to do. And, and he sat me down, and this happened over several months, and he, he would just say things, and he, he kind of told me this phrase of, Amy, just decide now. Divorce is not an option. You are not your parents. You don't have to make that decision. You get to choose to fight for your marriage. You get to choose to fight for Dusty. You are not your parents. And this, as dumb as that sound, was a, a new concept for me. So I went home and called Dusty up and, and we had several <laughs> long talks after that. Just And I, I was vulnerable and I opened up and I told him all my fears, um, why I didn't want to get married, what I was scared of, and that how do I know that you're not going to do that? What if you like somebody better? What if, what if I, you know, blah, 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 all, and oh my gosh, we hashed them all out. And like I said, at the end of the day, we made a decision that we didn't want to do life without the other one. And it was that decision. It wasn't, um, I don't know. It wasn't like, I can't do yes, this. Yes, it's, yeah. we made that decision to, to love each other. And then we, we said out loud, okay, divorce is off the table. You are stuck with me, and I am stuck with you, and that is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And, and we, have, we have fought before, and we have fought in front of our kids, yeah. and we allow them to grade our fights sometimes <laughs> because it's like, okay, what, did, what do I need to get better at? How do you think, you know? And, and they're pretty good at assessing us, and then sometimes I'm like, oh, you're wrong. I was so good, and he wasn't, though. But... But I want them to see and have that security that, because for me, when you fought, someone was leaving. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, that's a big thing for my boys. I want them to see. And so they've said before, like, are you guys so mad at each other you're going to get a divorce? And I'm like, no, heck no. Dad's not, he can't leave, leave me and I'm not leaving him, you know. And so anyway, just that importance of that decision that 
No one's going anywhere. And, and I'm going to tell you, over, over the years, <laughs> there have been some times when our marriage has not been pretty. Definitely not been sexy. You know, there's, there's that. But he's my best friend. And I will always fight for him. And I will always fight for our marriage. Um, and I know there's so many reasons today that people get a divorce, um, right or wrong, but, but that just happens. And we've kind of lost our zeal for marriage almost. And it's just like, ah, divorce happens. Mm-hmm. You know, to where really in the Bible, there's, there's two reasons that it's permitted, I guess. And, and it's because of adultery or abandonment. And it doesn't say that you must get a divorce, right. but it, it, it permits divorce. And so I, I don't think God likes divorce, not at all. And, and in Malachi 2.16, <laughs> he says, for I hate divorce. So there's kind of the, the key. Mm-hmm. Says the Lord, the God of Israel, to divorce your wife or husband is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heavens, the heavens army. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Man, God hates divorce because he puts so much value in, in marriage. And listen, you know, family is the, pretty much the foundation of society, and marriage is the, the foundation for family. And divorce is never simply about the husband and the wife. And, and if you come from a divorce home, man, you know, you know that it affects the entire family. It affects the neighborhood. It affects the church. It affects schools. Divorce, it just kind of keeps going, that ripple effect. Um, most divorces happen because people like you and your age don't take the time to just work on being their best self. You know, they, we, we don't take the time to work on our character or at gaining wisdom or being vulnerable, you know. And so that's what you can start doing right now. You, you want to, to give your spouse the best gift ever, then you can give them your best self. Start working on that. Start working on that now. Hey, Ross, can you t- turn down the volume, bro? It's okay, dude. I, yeah, it's probably okay. more... Go ahead. More um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, you can, you can work on pursuing marriage. And, and I, I would love for you to decide to have a... Really a realistic or whatever, a marriage to where you're real with each other because you're, you're not, it's not going to happen just like magically. You have to work for it and it's hard and some days it's harder than others, but you just, because you've worked on yourself and you've worked on all of those traits, you're going to be able to fight and you can totally do it and you make that commitment to each other Divorce is just not an option. And over the years, we've, we've even found ways of the whole fighting fair, like when, you're, when we're in an argument um, or a fight, whatever, um, like we don't leave the room. You know, we stay in the same room. And sometimes you agree to disagree or, or whatever, but 
but he knows I'm not going anywhere, and I know he's not going anywhere. Yeah, and maybe for some of you that maybe had, I want to qualify something, because some of you may have parents that fought physically, or their fighting with their words was mean, right, and crude. That's not what we mean. And part of where we both come from, Amy's parents didn't fight at all, like, that was part of the problem. My parents did. They also uh, kicked us out every Friday night when we'd have some pizza, all the kids in the neighborhood, they'd have a few beers, they'd kick us out, you know, and say, you can't come back until <laughs> after midnight, the, court, the house is locked. You know, my parents liked each other a lot, you know what I mean? But they, they would fight, but fair and, and with respect. And so uh, we, we've just always used the term fight and it's a habit, but as I'm listening and trying to think, um, arguing. No, no, no. You do. I, I do it too. Um, so I just wanted to qualify that for you. Um, here's how I want to end. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. Paul says, he's quoting Genesis, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and uh, be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis. But then Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Because marriage is a, is a cocktail of mystery and friendship and vulnerability. It's, it's, it's part the discovery of the other, but also of yourself. But it's also something about God. That's what Paul is saying here. I, I say at weddings a lot when I do a wedding, I'll say marriage is like a window. A, a window to see something beautiful, a scenery of something beautiful. Well, the window, if marriage is like a window... The window in and of itself is beautiful and has function, right? Like a window can be good, but it also helps you see something else. And Paul is telling us that marriage, God's way, is beautiful in and of itself. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. There's this loyalty and beauty and intimacy. But also, he says, but this is a mystery. This is about Christ and his church. Marriage is a window, to help you see something about God. So, um, thank you, baby. I'll let you peace out. Here's how, here's how we'll, uh, we'll end this. Um, whether you hope to, to marry or not, let me, let me do my pants here. I feel like they're like way up there. Woo! Um, whether you hope to get married someday or, or not, um, part of the hope tonight is that, uh, is that you'll see the beauty of God's gift of marriage, God's heart for the world and one of the things he wants to use to bring that hope and love and joy to the world are godly marriages. I hope you'll see that. And so we've ended each, uh, each week with a, uh, or each sermon with a, a breathing prayer. And so I wanna, I wanna give you one of these uh, tonight because I think we gave you a lot Right, And depending on where you're at relationally, the stuff we talked about can be very, very exciting. It could also be very frightening. It can also even be a little sad, depending on where you are relationally. But the hope was that what we wanted to do is just, just crack the biblical door a little bit, let some light in so that maybe it would inspire you. And so with that, here's the final breathing prayer. If you've never been here before, never done one of these with me or with Adriana. Um, a breathing prayer is just we take two 
two uh, phrases, and they're all based on the scriptures. And on the first line, it'll be on the screen, on the first line, you breathe in and just quietly in your mind, you pray that phrase. And so here's the breathe in, the inhale. It's this, I took this from Ephesians 3. God above, through, and in all. That's the, that's the inhale. God who is above, through, and in all. Here's, here's the exhale. It, it's really long. Wow. Because sometimes you need help in your prayers. God, help me. Sometimes it's just gratitude, right? Like especially when you're in a relationship that you love so much, you know, you're just constantly smiling. And you're just, thank you, God. Thank you for her. Thank you for him. And sometimes you're in a place of wonder. And, and this is one that I think that uh, at least the church in the modern West could, uh, could maybe use a little help, have, get a little help to just learn to be in wonder. Whether you understand completely or not, there's all these questions, there's all this what if and all this, but sometimes it's just God who is above, through, and in all. Wow. And so maybe you can do this. When I point, I'll read the first part. I'll say the first part. You breathe in, say it in your mind to the Lord. And I'll point and you breathe out. Wow. Okay, you ready? God, who is above, through, and in all. Wow. That's one you can pray anywhere, anytime, whether you're focusing on the breath or not. Because if you're driving, you might want to, you know, do normal breathing, right? Definitely don't close your eyes. But God, who is above, through, and in all. Wow. And listen, marriage, God's way, is a big, fat, pH fat, a big, fat, wow. Would you stand with me? I want to pray over you, over us, over this time, and then we're going to respond together in, uh, in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for my sweet wife and, uh, and, and getting to just think through some of this out loud with our friends Lord, I pray over the, you know, there's, there's several couples in this room that are married. I pray over their marriage. There are some relationships in this room that are thinking about that next step in the relationship. There are others that um, are dating, but, you know, there, there's quite a few steps away, a few months or years away from even talking about that. And there are some in this room who would love nothing more than to someday be married. And there, there's some, Lord, that are still figuring out what they think about that, what they want. In all the different seasons, God, I pray that what you would find in us is a sense of wonder, a sense of trust in you, God. Believing that in whatever we're confused about or whatever we're clear on, that we would put our trust in you and that we would find space to express, wow. So thank you, God. Thank you for marriage. I love it that we read from the Apostle Paul several times tonight. And as far as we know, he was never married. And yet he clearly saw the brilliance and design and beauty and 
the essential nature of godly marriage, marriages to permeate this earth so that we could be a light. So thank you and wow for marriage. Spirit of God, would you meet us in this place as we sing, as we worship, and as we celebrate who Jesus is. And it's in his name that I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.com.